You're listening to Metal Matters, the official weekly Gimme Metal podcast. for another action-packed episode of the Metal Matters podcast. And this week, we've got my good friend Jay Bennett, rock scribe, musician, and uh, pretty much a reliable source for this era of music that we're going to be delving into tonight. And uh, but before we get started, though, I just want to thank everyone who checked out the 100th episode. Um, it's been a lot of fun doing this thing. Uh, looking for another, another hundred episodes to come. So, uh, you know, thanks everyone who listened from the beginning. Thanks everyone who joined and thanks everyone who this might very well be your first episode of the metal matters podcast. So how's it going, Jay? It's going great, man. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for today's album. I mean, we always talk about great records. Um, but I have to say this is, um, this is one of my favorites. So yeah, it's nah, going to be good. I'm I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I got to say that um, one of the more exciting uh, things to happen is the legalization of recreational marijuana in the state of New Jersey, the state that I currently res- reside in, and uh, that's like a huge step forward uh, for a state like Jersey, you know, which now is ahead of New York on the legalization of marijuana. And uh, I'm not really a big weed guy. Uh, but I'm not, I support that kind of move. And, um, I just think it's good for our society in general to be, uh, more permissive about the, the use of, uh, psychoactive drugs and psych, you know, substances like that. I hesitate to use the word drug. So, so that's, that's exciting news yeah. to happen recently. I completely agree. And cheers to, cheers to Jersey. Yeah, man. Still, still completely illegal in New York, by the way. Which is insane. I, I mean, and as I'm sure people know, like Oregon pretty much just legalized everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a there was a joke going around how like cocaine is legal in Oregon now, but straws are illegal. <laughs> um, so I thought I thought that was pretty funny. You got to do the uh, the key bump now, right? That's how they do it in in uh, you know. Yeah, you roll bump. up a yeah, or roll a dirty ass dollar bill up or whatever. Yeah, or just straight up like freebase it maybe. Yeah, man. Why not? Fuck old, it. Old school. <laughs> uh huh. Rick James style. Yeah, man. All right. So enough of that, uh, Jack Assery. Uh, so for this week, the record that Jay and I are going to be talking about is a classic record. Is the Def Leppard record "High and Dry," which is their second LP. And um, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to just going to run down some of the particulars here. Released July 6, 1981, in the UK and July 11th, 1981 in the U.S. Uh, Vertigo handled the U.K. release, and Mercury handled the U.S. release. And uh, for those of you who um, listened to the ACDC episodes we did, uh, there's like a, a, l- a little bit of synchronicity between these two bands. Uh, the producer, uh, Mutt Lang, Robert John Mutt Lang, uh, was the, uh, the guy behind, at the controls on this record. And I think that... Uh, it shows, and we'll get into this later, but I, I've always felt like Def Leppard had a, a real heavy ACDC thing going on, and it was just uh, fortified by the involvement of Mutt Lang, who was, you know, he was kind of the guy who, in my opinion, created like the, the well-known ACDC sound, you know, despite the fact that for throughout the 70s, early part of the 70s, ACDC worked with a different engineer, but the Mutt Lang records are the ones that I feel like really put ACDC on the map, so. Yeah. Mr. Shania Twain. That's, I mean, I think we touched on some of his uh, discography in one one of the ACDC uh, episodes, and it's, it's pretty uh, diverse, number one. And um, I, I think he worked with Michael Bolton, too, you know. The uh, the infamous Michael yeah. Bolton, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he has, and and Britney Spears and Lady Gaga, Maroon Five, Nickelback, all all the uh, 
all favorites, but uh, he was uh, he was or is is currently. I think he is married to Shania Twain. Good for him. Uh, yeah, yeah, Nickel, he is. Nickelback's uh, can, they're Canadian, aren't they? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the personnel on this record, we had Joe Elliott lead vocals, uh, Steve Clark lead and lead and rhythm guitars, backing vocals, Pete Willis lead dueling lead guitar player, rhythm guitar player, backing vocals, Rick Savage bass guitar, backing vocals, and Rick Allen drums. And I guess all these guys sang because they're all credited with credited with doing backing vocals. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. On the uh, production side, of course, uh, the great uh, Mutt Lang as the producer. Mike Shipley was an engineer. Nigel Green, assistant engineer. And uh, this was all recorded uh, at Battery Studios in London, UK. So that was yeah. uh, that's kind of the uh, you know the the background on the record, all the little credits and that kind of stuff. Uh, did you? I don't have anything written down about chart position, but I know that this record, similar to uh, ACDC Highway to Hell, is kind of the record that put Def Leppard on the map as far as like uh, the mainstream goes. Yeah, it did, but it didn't nearly. I mean, I mean, you know. Uh, Highway to Hell was sort of like a, I think it was a number one type deal. I mean, this High and Dry made it to 26, number 26 on the UK album chart and only number 38 on the Billboard 200. So it wasn't quite that. And actually, it, it wasn't certified platinum until 11 years after it came out. So this was not the, like, this was certainly the thing that kind of laid the groundwork for Pyromania, which is the one that kind of really broke them. But this wasn't quite the highway to hell um, situation uh, for Def Leppard. Right. I mean, in raw numbers, but I mean, like the same way that highway to hell, uh, I mean, on a scaled down version, I guess, is what I should say about high and dry. Because like highway to hell opened the door for um, for back and black. And that's like, I think we said the the largest selling rock album ever <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and completely yeah, yeah. eclipsed any of the success they had with um with highway to hell and similarly but definitely scaled down um high and dry kind of brought them to the consciousness of you know american hard rock and heavy metal fans and then the record that came out after this was the you know pyromania was like the huge huge hit for them Right. And so, I mean, the, the, the big thing as far as like entering the American consciousness and, and, and kind of setting them on their path was, you know, the, the second single and power ballad on this record, Bringing on the Heartbreak. Um, it was the video was picked up by MTV, which had just started around this time. And that really juiced the sales of um, of High and Dry. Um, and I, I'll, I'll call, bring it back to, to I, there's a lot to say about bringing on a heartbreak, but it's, in terms of Def Leppard's popularity, that video hit at the right time um, uh, for MTV and kind of helped them explode. And not for nothing, uh, another song on here, High and Dry, also got some popularity to a lesser extent because it ended up on uh, the PMRC's Filthy 15 list right on, in 85. Man. That's, uh, um, but that was later, of course. That was after. That was, of course, after Pyromania. So, but we'll but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 so an interesting thing. So setting the kind of like groundwork for this record. Um, so before High and Dry, Def Leppard they they they'd done massive tours with ACDC, with Priest, with Sammy Hagar, um, and you know, early on. Uh, early on in their career, Def Leppard were definitely they were regarded as part of the you know what's known as the new wave of British heavy metal movement, um, which included you know your Iron Maidens and uh, Venom, um, Girl School, um, uh, tons of bands that kind of a lot of them really didn't seem to have much in common like the handful I just remember I just mentioned. Um, Def Leppard never really considered themselves a part of that, but other people did. And their debut album, On Through the Night, was actually the first full-length album released by 
any of the bands that were included in the new wave of British heavy metal. I didn't know that. Now, wow. yeah, it was the first one, and it, it, but it was soon eclipsed uh, in popularity, like by a lot, when the first Iron Maiden album came out. So, going into High and Dry, it, this is hard to think about now. This is like difficult to like get your head around now. Def Leppard were very much playing second fiddle to Iron Maiden as far as like English British heavy music. You know, Iron Maiden were the top of the heap with their first record. Um, so all of this kind of like set the stage for High and Dry, um, which they started recording uh, in March of 81 with Mutt Lang. And the reason they were able to get Mutt Lang uh, is because their manager, uh, Peter Mensch, was already working with ACDC. Uh, Peter Mensch and his manager, uh, Cliff Bernstein. Uh, Lang, of course, had already done Highway to Hell and Back in Black with ACDC, and I believe, uh, I mean, I I think, I'm pretty sure, Back in Black was definitely one of the last albums Mutt Lang did before High and Dry. It might have been the exact album previous to High and Dry. Like, he might have gone from Back in Black directly into High and Dry. Um, And that makes sense, because I, to me, and, you know, we can talk about this, to me, the, the opening track... Uh, it was also the lead single on High and Dry. Let it go. Uh, it's basically an ACDC song. I, I mean, would say, I would say, hundred percent that. And also, the song High and Dry is like mm-hmm. has a very ACDC vibe to it. And I remember as a young kid reading about these guys, like in Cream and like Hit Parader and all this stuff. And you know, similar. I, I found out about Iron Maiden that way because, like, you know, Cream was like slamming Iron Maiden, but. The review that they gave them was like, you know, painted a picture of a band that I should listen to, even though they were giving it a bad review. And the same thing about Def Leppard. It was like, you know, they in, in the review, they referred to them as like, uh, you know, ACDC ripoffs and this kind of thing. And uh, so at that age, for me, I was like, oh, an ACDC ripoff, I should listen to it. You know, I'll probably like it, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I and yeah. it. it the thing about them, though, is like, and I've always said this about, especially this era of the band, is that it's like in, their songs are like ACDC songs with more parts, you know, and like dueling guitar yeah. solos and stuff like that. And I guess the dueling leads is probably, I mean, aside from just them being English, that's really one of the only things that is they have in common with some of the other New Wave of British heavy metal bands is like the dueling guitar stuff, you know. Yeah, and 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 that's one of the things that, like you know, for example, one of the, one of the big things that Def Leppard and Iron Maiden have in common with the dueling guitar things, they were both all all every, pretty much everyone in all those bands, uh, both those bands were massive Thin Lizzy fans. Yeah, and you know, so that's kind of, and, that, and that's kind of where and Judas Priest obviously did that too. They were they were into Judas Priest, but so you know, Judas Priest and Thin Lizzy were kind of like um, the ones who had popularized that kind of sound. Um, you know, leading up to this, this sort of like new wave of British heavy metal band. Um, and, you know, the, the, so we should point out, so w- when Def Leppard did their first album, On Through the Night, they did that with uh, the Colonel, Tom Allum, uh, Tom Allum, uh, who, who had, who had been an engineer on the first three Sabbath records and then had kind of uh, made his name for himself by producing like 10 Judas Priest albums in a row, basically. Um, uh, so he had done the first Def Leppard, and then you know, you know, their management brings in Mutt Lang, and then all, we set, all of a sudden we have this sort of like any sort of like you know uh, residual sort of ACDC elements that Def Leppard ha- might have had to begin with, which, which I don't think was much, uh, was definitely emphasized coming into High and Dry. Um, and so you know, and we talked about this, I think, with the, AC, with the ACDC records. Um, oh, are you there? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Oh, okay. I hear there's like beeping going on. Um, it's, it's the government listening so, to our conversation, I think, probably. God damn it. Of course, of course. Because they, 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 even they want to know about High and Dry. They're like, what's up with that record? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we talked about this with the ACDC records, how like Mutt Lang had this reputation as like a taskmaster, like making people do things over and over and over again. There was like this military style, like discipline involved in like doing a record with him. And Joe Elliott talks about that uh, a lot. And, and they basically like analyzed, dissected, 
rearranged and even rewrote huge sections of these songs before they recorded them. Like Def Leppard had the material and it was all kind of sliced and diced and put back together um, for the record. And uh, so it, a prime example is the leads to Let It Go, which we're just talking about. Um, this song was originally titled When the Rain Falls and it had different lyrics uh, and the band, uh, the band first played it at the New Theater in Oxford in 1980, uh, which I, that might have even been prior to On Through the Night. Um, so it had different lyrics um, and a different title. So obviously, something happened in the process of like Mutt Lang. They were performing this song live in a completely different way, you know? Um, uh, as, as far as that song goes, it's also worth mentioning that the version, if you have the actual 45 that came out, because this was the lead single, um, the version on the single is 30 seconds shorter than the album version. Um, they chopped down the guitar intro at the beginning and uh, they also chopped down the solo. Um, and there was a music video for Let It Go that was filmed at the Royal Court Theater in Liverpool um, where they also shot videos. Well, one of the videos for Bringing On The Heartbreak, there were two, we'll get to that later. And there was also a, a performance video for the title track for High and Dry. And all that stuff was shot originally to be a part of um, Don Kirshner's rock concert TV series on uh, on ABC, um, and later to become, then they later became videos. You know, what an exciting time, man! You know what I mean? Like the first of all, the fact that hard rock music is on network television is pretty insane. You know, yeah, Don Kirshner. Yeah. And number two, to be in a band, and and also uh, the guys in Def Leppard were kids basically when they were when they were doing their band. Yeah, they were so They're, young. Yeah, and, yeah. And then to be working with a guy who produced a Sabbath record, which is like, you know, pretty fucking in intense, really. You know, right? They they went from the guy who was working with Sabbath and Priest to the guy who had just done like, you know, the two biggest rock albums ever you know um one of which is still one of the biggest rock albums ever you know um you know with that with that said too like um on through the night i mean i heard this record first and then um i went back and i got a cassette of on through the night and i i definitely i mean it's a good record i like it but it's definitely very different you know and and uh yeah and you know now looking back and having had a little bit of uh, an understanding of the role that Mutt Lang plays in making records, it, it makes sense that his involvement kind of crafted the the sound of uh, of High and Dry, you know. And you can see the similarities. Like in some ways, it's almost like like he's actually in the in each of these bands, you know, since he is doing a lot of the songwriting per se, as far as you know, by rearranging these songs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, it, that comes up so often. You'll hear bands refer to have a close relationship with a producer. They'll refer to him as the fifth member of the band. Um, but in, in this case, I mean, it really is true. I mean, you, you can hear. I mean, I would even argue that with ACDC, he, Mutt Lang kind of, he, hon he kind of honed something that was, that, that was already there. Um, with Def Leppard, he kind of turned them into kind of a different band in a way, yeah. you know? It was it was it was honing for sure, and and I'm not saying that like you know Mutt Lang was kind of responsible for them, but he did kind of I mean he he ACDCified Def Leppard, um, but you know what Def Leppard had that ACDC obviously did not like we touched on they did not have this that sort of like twin guitar thing happening in ACDC, and obviously there's way more melody um, and ballads um, going on with Def Leppard. Um, and, and you know, Def Leppard was kind of cut often cited as the band that like brought the girls into heavy metal. You know, yeah. you didn't see a lot, you didn't see a lot of women at um, ACDC concerts necessarily. Um, but uh, w w w when De Def Leppard got big, I mean, that was like you know, I mean, <laughs> they brought out the ladies, and there's no no mistake in that. You know, yeah, you know, they're young, good looking guys. You know, they're, they're it's the be you know the beginning of like what would turn into that kind of L.A. You know, they they were kind of harbingers, I guess, in a way. To, yeah. To that kind yeah. of um, you know, California style, uh, you know, hard rock like hair metal kind of thing. Even though they were not musically like that, but they, I would say, they were probably harbingers of that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, they had ballads. You know. 
Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, so the, so I, 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 I'll kind of, I'll kind of, I'll kind of deviate from the, the, well, no, I'll, I'll just stick with the running order. Cause I guess I want to do bring on the heartbake last. Cause it's going to take us into pyromania, but, yeah. um, so the title track high and dry Saturday night, uh, now, what I kind of learned in researching this is this: this Hydra, this is apparently one of there are five Def Leppard songs across their career that have a video that were not released as a single, and this is one of them. Hydra okay. was never released as a single. There are only two singles from Hydra, and that is "Let It Go" and "Bring It On the Heartbreak." Um, but Hydra has a video, uh, and it's one of these from this on Kershaw's rock concert footage. Um, so, and the song also. Like in, in 1985, this song also made Tipper Gore and the, the, the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center, it made their list of, that was known as the Filthy 15. Um, these songs that were, you know, deemed hazardous to children and teenagers. Um, in, in this particular, a lot of it stuff was like, you know, um, Satanism or sex or, or uh, in this case, it was because the song was thought to be glorifying alcohol and drug use. Um, uh, other bands are on the list, you know, your sort of usual suspects, Wasp, Priest, Sabbath, uh, ACDC was on there, Venom, uh, uh, and then a Twisted Sister, uh, D. Snyder famously testified before Congress because of this. Um, but then you also had people like, uh, Prince and Cyndi Lauper, you know? Um, so, you, you know, you know, you must be, um, you must be really, um, a bad influence on uh, teenagers if you're, uh, you know, being lumped in with <laughs> Cindy Lauper, I guess. Um, but uh, oddly enough, uh, Joe Elliott gave an interview to Rolling Stone in 2016, uh, in which he said, I mean, he didn't come out and say that Mutt Lang wrote these lyrics, but he said that Mutt Lang kind of, it was Mutt Lang's idea to put the emphasis on the drinking in that song. It was not Joe Elliott's idea. Um, which I thought was funny, considering, you know, the, 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 but Def Leppard didn't nearly, I, my impression is that Def Leppard didn't really feel as much sort of fallout from that Filthy 15 thing uh, as some of these other bands did, because when this happened in 85, Pyromania was already out. Um, I mean, they, they were huge. They, I mean, they were arguably, I mean, along with, I mean, the, you know, them and Twisted Sister and, and Priest, they were argu argu arguably the, the sort of biggest things going on this list. Um at this time, you know, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, that's a pretty, um, you know, D Snyder's, uh, you know, testimony is pretty, pretty infamous thing. You know, it was pretty cool. Yeah. And Frank Zappa as well. He, he sort of, um, what's funny is that like Frank Zappa and D Snyder are like smart guys who do, uh, like who actually don't drink or do drugs, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's just funny that they, you know, the, these are the guys that like, you know, the get, get kind of, I mean, I think they kind of volunteered to speak before Congress because they're sort of could present their ideas the best, but it just kind of made Tipper Gore and all those people look like even bigger assholes than they already were. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, uh, I have a hard, I know that, I mean, this is like decades have passed, but the, um, I, I have, a, I always have a hard time of thinking as twisted sister as a big band because I grew up in, um, you know, outside of New York city, and there was, I was way too young to go out and see bands play, but that was back when the drinking age was 18 and the kind of like cover cover scene was big. And like, there was tons of clubs all up and down like Westchester County and, you know, Poughkeepsie, Long Island, Jersey, you know, places outside of New York that uh, all these bands played at and older, older dudes that I knew that played in bands were the ones who were telling me about Twisted Sister like way before like they were anything like in a major way. So whenever I think of Twisted Sister, I think of them almost as like a local band, you know? Yeah, I mean, and they, and they were, I mean, they were, I don't know if you saw that Twisted Sister documentary oh, that yeah. came out a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, they were like, yeah, I mean, they were so big on a local level that they sort of like embarrassed major label into signing them because they were just sort of, they could draw like bigger crowds and a lot of bands that were on major labels and they had no, they weren't signed to anyone. You know yeah. what I mean? So they kind of like shamed these, uh, like, uh, I think Atlantic they ended up with, um, kind of shamed Atlantic into that deal in a way. Um, uh, there's so many other great songs on this record. I mean, uh, I, you know, switch 65, which is instrumental. It was also the flip side to let it go. I, I think it's a great song. I mean, it's not, you don't, 
you don't associate this kind of music with instrumentals. Um, uh, not a lot of bands were, were, were doing that. It took, you know, you, um, you know, Sabbath of course had famously done it, um, through the seventies. And then, you know, as far as when, when, when music started getting heavier later in the eighties, like Metallica and stuff, you started hearing more instrumentals. Um, but with this particular genre of like, I don't know, arena metal for lack of a better term, you didn't hear a lot of instrumentals. Um, and switch six two five. Um, it's, great. it's a good track. I like it. You know. Yeah, totally. Uh, the song "Bringing On the Heartbreak." Even at that, and I'm talking about this shit like from like the twelve year old or thirteen year old perspective. You know what I mean? It's like when I first heard this record, it was like uh, I, I wasn't really a fan of ballads, right? Yeah. But "Bringing On the Heartbreak" was uh, was a ballad that I actually dug, just because I thought the the riffs were cool and there was like solos in it. And, you know, it, it had, it had like, um, like a level of like complexity to it that I really dug. It's, I completely agree. I'm not much for uh, the ballads from this era, but I love this song and that, that sort of, it's got such a cool atmosphere and that opening guitar line that that it's so cool. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so this, okay. So of course, bring on the heartbreak was the, the, the big power ballad. It's the second single off the album. It was released as a single in November of 81. So the album had already been out for, you know, almost or like five, four or five months at this point. Um, the non-album track, Me and My Wine, is on the flip side, which incidentally is another song that wasn't technically released as a single that also has a video. It wasn't even on an album and it has a video. Um, so this is another one that I, I get the sense was very, that Mutt Lang had a big hand in. Um, the working title was apparently a certain heartache at some point before it got to before they recorded it. Um, apparently, Pete Willis, uh, the guitar player, um, the, and by the way, High and Dry was was Pete Willis's last album with Def Leppard, um, so maybe this was tied into it. Um, apparently, Pete Willis hated the song and was embarrassed to play it. Um, and in fact, the band's other manager, Cliff Bernstein. Um, who would uh, who managed ACDC and would go on to manage Metallica? Uh, he also thought that uh, this song would only be a hit if someone like uh, he mentioned he thought someone like Bonnie Tyler should be doing it, who of course had a big hit with Total Eclipse of the Heart around this time. Um, yeah, but as we said earlier, this was the song that started Def Leppard mania in the United States um, because the video was picked up by MTV and that juiced the sales of the album. Um, but that said, I should point out a couple of things here. Um, there are actually two videos for this song. Um, the first one, which is the uh, which is the original video, this is the one that got that got first got picked up by MTV, was part of that Don Kirshner rock uh, concert uh, performance series. So they did one for Let It Go, they did one for the title track, they did one for Bring It On The Heartbreak. Um, Pete Willis is performing with them. He's in that video. Uh, that was one that was first picked up by MTV in, you know, late 81. So then fast forward to May of 84. Um, at the, after the massive success of Pyromania, Def Leppard re-release Bringing on the Heartbreak. Uh, and it's remixed and partially re-recorded. Um, they, they, there's more synthesizers added. And Phil Collin, who replaced, who, who, who Phil Collin had been in a band called Girl in, in, in England with, um, and the singer of, of Girl was Phil Lewis, who yeah. later moved, moved to the United States and became the singer of L.A. Guns. Um, so F Phil Collin joins Def Leppard. He re-records, he re I don't know if he did a note-for-note -note thing, re-recorded uh, Pete Willis's parts. Um, if they just added him, I don't know the details on that, but Phil Collin plays on the track. He's also in the, in the new video and they shoot this second video, which is, has kind of a lot of hilarious moments. Um, they shoot this video, uh, in February of 84 at a place called Jacob's Biscuit Factory in Dublin, Ireland. Um, and you know, there's a kind of a scene in the video where a woman's hand pokes up out of the water and is like beckoning <laughs> Joe Elliott. <laughs> into into the sea like a siren or something and then he's he's later um chained to the um you know the mast of a um of a boat like uh you know jesus christ pose um 
uh, it's pretty funny. Um, uh, here's another fun fact. And I, I did not know this until I started doing research for this podcast. Maybe, maybe you knew this. I didn't. Um, this song was covered by Mariah Carey in 2003. Wow. Uh, yes. And, uh, and there was some guitar playing on it by Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction. Uh, and apparently uh, Joe Elliott and Phil Collin liked her version quite a bit. I still haven't heard it. I, did, I, I, I didn't listen that to it. Out, man. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't listen to it, but I, yeah, I, I had no idea. And she, I, I read a little bit about it. Apparently this was like one of her favorite songs growing up. And she was like bumping it during like a photo shoot or something and just thought, I want to do this song. Mariah Carey, if I'm not mistaken, is from Long Island. So, uh, uh, and, you know, I could see her growing up and, you know, being like into uh, that, this kind of thing. It's, Cause like, I don't know, I always associate like Long Island and like up, you know, like the Westchester County area, like as uh, strong, you know, strongholds uh, in the eighties for these types of bands and this type of music really. So like, I, I'm not surprised that she's a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that was pretty, I thought that was pretty fascinating. I had no idea. Um, and then of course, I mean, there's so, I mean, I, I, there's so many tracks on here. And so jump in whatever. I mean, you got me when you're on, we're on side B, you got, you got me running lady strange on through the night, which I love is I, I love when bands do this, when you have the title track, not on the album. So yeah. you have the song on through the night on this, not on the album on tonight. Um, then there's mirror, mirror looking in my eyes, which is my personal favorite, Mike. I don't know what your favorite is, but the mirror, mirror is, is my favorite song on high and dry. It's not my favorite, but I like it though. I mean, I like I yeah. like every track on this record, but uh, you know, my my personal favorites are uh, you know, very very generically, "Let It Go," the title track, and "Bring It On the Heartbreak." I mean, those are yeah. you know, fucking iconic songs for this band, in my opinion. You know, yeah. I'm also quite fond of "Lady Strange." I thought that yeah, was like a very very catchy song. It's a, it's a, that is a real good track. Yeah. I like that one as well. And on yeah, and the I night, believe yeah, I thought it was cool. And like I mentioned earlier, like I, th I'd heard this record first and then, um, I was aware of, uh, their first album. So I just assumed that this song was also on their first album because it had the same title. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I love that kind of thing. Um, you don't see it that often. Um, uh, but I love that. Like, let's put the title track on a different record. Um, and also Lady Strange, you, which you mentioned, uh, is notable because it is the only, if I'm not mistaken, it is the only song on High and Dry that Rick Allen has a writing credit on. He, Rick Allen is a co-writer. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see that right here. Of Lady Strange. Yeah. And that's the only one, it looks like, um, that he has a, uh, a co-writing credit. Although, yeah, yeah, that's it. Interesting. Um, but yeah, that's a good one. What was your, uh, you know, historically, how, how did you uh, first get, get into Def Leppard? Uh, I, always, I always like hearing about how people get exposed to different bands. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was, I mean, you're a couple of years older than me. So I actually, so High and Dry was definitely like, a, I went back to that. So Pyromania was the one. Um, I probably heard Foolin' or Rock of Ages. Um, or photograph or something like that. I, I remember Rock of Ages being a big one, so it, it might have been Rock of Ages. Um, uh, and so Pyromania was, um, it was like one of my. I remember my first three tapes that I ever had. Um, uh, Michael Jackson Thriller, of course, would probably everyone my age had that. Um, Def Leppard, Pyromania, and The Police, Synchronicity, um, were like the first ones that I, you know, those are my first tapes. And I remember specifically picking out um, Pyromania, especially because I heard, I think, Rock of Ages or something on the radio. Um, and I love that record. But then I went back and I heard, I, I mean, Bring It On The Heartbreak was still on um, MTV, you know, of course, so I, I, I saw that and stuff. Um, but, I, but I didn't come into the game, as it were, until Pyromania. So High and Dry would be like kind of a going back for me, you know. Yeah, I I have since come around to Pyromania, and I, and I actually enjoy uh, Hysteria, the record after that one too. 
I, yeah, I do too. I think it's that record is phenomenal. You know, it's incredible. I mean, that's a whole nother. I mean, that record. There's it only has ten songs, and seven of them were singles. It's bananas. <laughs> yeah, the song Hysteria itself is pretty pretty cool song. I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean that 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 song is sort of like if you want to see like the you know the Mutt Lang. Um, I mean, the ultimate Mutt Lang record, you know, of where all of the Mutt Lang things are pushed to the 10,000th degree. That's the record, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the thing is, too, it's like, you know, and we're, we're going to be doing Pyromania, um, at, you know, next. Uh, but mm. there is, I mean, aside from the obvious of the injury to the drummer, uh, the, the sort of updating of the guitar sound between these two records, too, was... Uh, yeah. Like I, I definitely preferred the raw, raw, like in your face guitars that were on, um, you know, high and dry. Like it's like, yeah, you know, like Thin Lizzy. You know, there's like that. I, I always thought Def Leppard, aside from being like very much like an, you know similar to ACDC, had like that Thin Lizzy aspect to them too. You know what I mean? Even even like somewhat lyrically too. I mean, not. I mean, Phil Lynott had his own complete different thing going on but you know there's like songs about love that Def Leppard has it's not all just about like drinking and you know being a, you know going out and raising hell you know what I mean and um yeah you know like yeah. the song Lady Strange to I, I for for me personally I was was like oh you know this is like got like some subtleties to it which I appreciated yeah and I think as far as the guitar I mean a big part of the guitar sound changing I think going to primary obviously Phil Collin coming in replacing Pete Willis um I think Phil Collin was I mean at least I get the impression that he was a little more of a polished sort of player um they they cut Pete Willis loose I mean we'll talk about that but they cut Pete Willis loose during Pyromania um uh because it was like just drinking too much, which, you know, ends up being ironic later on, given that Steve Clark sort of drank himself to death later on. Yeah. Um, the other there, you know, um, but, uh, uh, Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, with high and dry. So the sleeve, the, uh, the album cover was done by, uh, hypnosis. Um, the, the sort of, uh, you know, the, the famous rock design firm, I guess you would call them. Um, <laughs> Uh, and they had done stuff for sort of, you know, they've done stuff for famously for, uh, you know, Zeppelin, Sabbath, and most famously Pink Floyd. And apparently the high and dry sleeve existed prior to Def Leppard and, and in fact was rejected by Pink Floyd twice in the 70s. So I thought that was an interesting fact, too. Wow. That's yeah. like, that's kind of, um, I, whenever I hear stories like that, it's like, uh, I, I always find that odd just because nowadays like bands are so hands-on with the way their, their materials being presented, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. Everyone's, and, and I mean, rightly so everyone's very particular about artwork and packaging and presentation. It blows my mind to think that there's like this existing image and they're sitting in some meeting somewhere and it's like, we, we need a, uh, you know, we, we need a, um, an you know, album cover. So everyone's yeah. like scratching their heads and they're like, you know, <laughs> projecting like different imagery, different like options, you know, one's like, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a chrome skull or something like that, you know, yeah. with wings. Yeah. And then this record cover comes up and they're like, oh, yeah, we think this this will work because to me, yeah. I just associate it with the record, you know? Yeah, no, I, I always think when I yeah, I, I always think about um. Um, the first, the, the original English or UK pressing of the Black Sabbath, the first Black Sabbath album, uh, in, the, the, the gatefold infamously opened up into a, an upside down cross. Um, that was not the band's idea at all. And in fact, they kind of got like saddled with all this kind of like satanic stuff because of that. And it, it had nothing to do with them. You know, <laughs> it's just bananas to me, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty funny, but uh, yeah, but yeah, that's um, yeah, that's fucking Def Leppard, man, High and Dry. Yeah, High and Dry, great record. Go listen to it now. I listened to it a couple, three times, you know, over the course of the day, yeah. actually, just uh, you know, having it on the background in preparation for this. But uh, 
it's definitely one of those records I go back to. And, um, you know, I, I think it's pro it's definitely my favorite Def Leppard record. Uh, yeah, I have to agree. I mean, it really, it, it really holds up, you know, and it's not quite, it doesn't get like, I love Pyromania and I love Hysteria. Um, but you know, obviously some of that stuff gets a, a little sh sugary, uh, you know, not, I, not, I don't have a problem with that, but it gets, it, there's something about high and dry. It is like the sort of crossover from, um, on through the night, sort of like the grittier stuff before the real, I mean, he start. you know, you can see Mutt Lang starting to polish the car and then it's like fully polished by Pyromania. And then, like, he puts on, like, 10 more coats of polish for Hysteria. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that came out in what? Like, 83? Uh, Pyromania? Pyromania? Pyromania is 83, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that, like I, like I was saying earlier, that, you know, that, that's the beginning of that, that sound. You know what I mean? Of the, the chorus on the guitars and that whole thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, like, Joe Elliott doing, like, you know, six tracks of vocals or whatever he was doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, but similar to ACDC, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to liken the death of somebody, but uh, you know, of Bon Scott dying, but Def Leppard also experienced a potentially career ending blow when Rick Allen, uh, you know, lost his arm in the accident, yeah, in a car accident. I, I, I still like, um, it, uh, man, it's I, to me, it's so bananas that he. I still, I, I remember when that. I remember when that happened, you know. And I remember as a kid, you know, and thinking about how that just seemed like an insurmountable thing. And I still feel that way. I'm still kind of amazed that they that he pulled it off. The like that that he's still playing drums. I, I, I it's incredible. You know, I I wonder though, like on the records though. Um... Because there is like a very mechanical sound to the to the, to the drums on on the records after this. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it, it, and it, and it's and it's like you know, I, I from from what very little I know about his like sort of custom kit that he has, you know, that I'm sure stuff is like triggered or, or whatever it is. Um, it, it's funny because they sort of take like the sort of uh, highly. Uh, uh, polished sound of hysteria kind of goes with i mean because there's just like hardly any like i mean you can put on hysteria and kind of convince yourself that there's no humans involved really you know what i mean yeah it's like one of those typical I, 80 80s productions you know what i mean yeah and it's so he really but his drum sound really fits with the sort of like tons of production that is happening on that record you know yeah. um so they really like not only did they recover from that they they kind of like they, they they somehow like turned it into a, a, a that sound that that he was creating into a strength. I it's astonishing, you know. Yeah, for me on a personal level though, I think that's when I started moving away though from the from the band just because of um, to me like their records started sounding like new wave albums or something. You know, there was like uh, you know, and not and I not like I don't like a lot of new wave music, but there there it just became like this very synthetic sort of thing and. You know, ZZ Top did the same thing on Eliminator. You know, that record sounds like another album where there's like no humans involved on it, too. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's their that's that that is their hysteria. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I just remember. I remember in whatever it was, ninety one or ninety two, when Adrenalize, the one after. Oh, dude! Uh, I don't even know that one. Oh man, there was a video. They had a video which was like. It was cut, you know, I'm sure it was like considered cutting edge technology at the time, but it looked like video, almost like a video game style animation of a kid on a skateboard. And this, the single, the lead single was Let's Get Rocked was the name of the song. And I remember like, I couldn't even tell you another name of a song on that record because I, that song, I hated that song so much that I didn't bother with the record. I, I still have not heard Adrenalize all the way through. Like I just haven't. And came out in 92 or something like that. Like I just kind of, that song, that song was like the nail in the coffin for Def Leppard, you know? Do they, do they still exist as a band Def Leppard? Like, do they, you know, yeah, how, like yeah. sometimes you look up a band that you really dug when you were a kid 
and you weren't even aware of like the last 20 years of their career and they put out like 15 records or something like that yeah no yeah Def Leppard um yeah they're still around and they've put out like tons of that I think they've put out I don't know about tons of albums let's see hold on see how many records they have after hysteria i know let's see here oh the internet the internet let's see okay so after adrenaline so all right so after hysteria they have one two three four five six seven albums um their last album came out in 2015 and it was self-titled that's that's impressive i mean you know, they're, yeah. they're still doing this thing. Have you ever seen them live? I haven't. I haven't either, man. Although I'll tell you, maybe, oh, I don't know, eight or ten years ago, they played the forum with Kiss. And I, I don't know why. I, I don't know what I, I don't know if I was. I don't know what my excuse was, like why I didn't go. If I was out of town or I just slept on it or or what. But I'm still – and I have a, a friend of mine went to that show and, of course, said it was awesome. And uh, I'm still kicking myself um, for missing my chance to see Def Leppard. I've since seen Kiss, but I, 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 I um, yeah, I haven't seen Def Leppard. So it's I've never, I've never seen Kiss, man, and I, I'm ashamed of of admitting that. And uh, that's just one of those bands. Like I, 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 there was a period of time when I was very young where I wanted to see them, and I just was too young to go the same thing with Def Leppard like in the heyday of of you know high and dry I wasn't going to see rock concerts you know what I mean and then right uh I just just never saw them and the same thing with Kiss it was like during the 90s it for me personally I, I wasn't about to go see a Kiss concert you know what I mean and uh yeah even though, even though that was kind of like a little bit of the resurgence that Kiss had was in the 90s you know and uh, yeah, I never saw yeah. Def Leppard, you know, sadly. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Well, thanks uh, for joining me this evening, Jay. And, um, you know, so next, the next step on, the next stop on this train is uh, Pyromania by Def Leppard, the, the kind of bridge record. Uh, so that's going to be our next, uh, our next Def Leppard episode. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for having me, man. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, an official Gimme Metal podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. This show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.